0: Morning. Morning. Glad you guys are here for us as we kick off this new series. I want to extend a special welcome to anybody's here for the very first time or those of you watching online. We are glad you're here or there in either case. It is a good day, isn't it? Woo! Man, this is my favorite time of year, bar none. Not only is there cooler weather and football and you can hunt wild game legally, And, like, I mean, it just does not get any better than the fall. Chili with Fritos and cheese. Are you kidding me? That is unreal. But state fairs, right? Holy cow. There's just, I mean, you can't even put it all in words how awesome the fall is. But not only that, we're starting this series called You Asked For It. And this has become my favorite series to preach. I mean, without question. So, I mean, can I confess something to you guys? This is this a safe place? Great. All right. One of you is with me. I can just pray and go oh, You know what I mean? Like, if it's not safe. No. But I, as much as possible, try and pray before each sermon series, asking God, what do you want your people to know in this? What do you want your people to do? I try and hear from him uh, as much as I can, but I know I'm not good enough on my own so if God doesn't show up, then there's no point in me even being up here. I'm like a clanging gong, the Bible would say. So despite my best efforts, any time I preach, though, I have no idea who God is speaking to. I'm just praying that he's speaking to somebody. Because look around, the, the people in this room, we have a, a wide variety. we got 80-year-olds, and we've got like eight-month-olds. We've got males. We've got females. We've got white people. We've got black people. We've got brown people. In the summertime, we've got red people. Like Every pigment of people we have covered, which is amazing. I'm so thankful for God for the diversity that he has brought here. We have people from the U.S. We have people who have immigrated here. We have people who are only in Kansas because of college. And we've got people who were born and raised in Kansas. Yes, it's awesome. I love it. Could not think, be thankful for anything more than that, that God has brought uh, all of you here. But even then I have no idea how God is leading you, what God is saying to you in any of the sermons that we do. And the reason I love this series is because that all changes here. Because I know at least a couple of you are going to be paying attention and really dialed in because you all are the ones who ask the question that I'm trying to answer. So as a pastor, it's very rewarding to realize that Uh, On some level, some of you are going to be paying attention during this time. So unless you talk to me, I have no idea how God is leading you. But during this series, uh, it's different because some of you might even be wondering, well, why are we even answering these questions? I've got plenty of other stuff in my life that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. And I'll tell you why we spend an entire four, five, sometimes six weeks in this series. And that's because the world is answering your questions. The culture that you 're living in and has have immersed yourself in, they're answering questions, and by and large, I would contend they're answering them very, very poorly. Watch the news sometimes. it doesn't take long to realize that the world is not answering our questions in a positive, uplift uplifting, encouraging way. in addition to that. I've got a pretty good biblical case on on why we should answer questions. Paul, who wrote much of your New Testament, he was synonymous for this. So if you're not familiar, Paul, would he would do is he'd go and travel to these big cities and he would plant churches and he, he would raise up leaders within those towns and then they would take over the church and then he would leave and he would go plant a different church, but these leaders would often... Uh, get questions from the people that they wouldn't know how to answer. And so they'd write Paul and say, hey, can you help us out with this? This is what we're facing in the church. And much of your New Testament are letters written to Paul trying to answer some of these questions. One example of this is a church in a town called Corinth. Paul started the church. After he left, the leaders were experiencing some difficulties and division. So they compiled a list of questions and sent it To the great apostle, questions like, what about widows? What do we do with them? Do we help support them? What about communion? Can we just eat that and drink that whenever we want to? Is there anything we can or can't wear? How do we answer these questions, Paul? And Paul answers these questions and many questions like it in 1 Corinthians 7-16. through But in an effort to kind of frame in where we're headed this morning, I want to quickly point something out. 1 Corinthians 7 reads, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, where one translation says, the, now let me answer the questions you wrote me about. But that's chapter 7. What was Paul doing the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians if he wasn't answering questions? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was addressing issues. So there's a pretty big difference between the questions that we ask and the real Questions that we're living, the real issues that are in our lives and what we're dealing with. In other words, our issues with our, we like to disguise our issues with questions. That way we can get people's attention off what we're actually dealing with. We can get it on something that we can debate. Very frequently, the questions that we're asking are not the questions we're really living. So might I submit to you that God's much more concerned with the issues than he is the questions. So what Paul is doing here is very unique. The first six chapters in 1 Corinthians, he's attacking issues. He's answering the questions they should have been asking. So if you go back and read it, you'll, hear saying, uh, you'll see things, uh, and I'll paraphrase this, but things like, I've heard reports. I know that this is happening You guys, I understand what's going on, and it's not right. I know you're not asking this, but I'm going to attack the issue on the front end, and then I'm going to answer the questions that you are really asking. And so here's why I bring that up. Because as we dive in this morning and answer our first question, which is, what's the big deal if a guy wants to be a girl or vice versa? That's the question that was asked. What's the big deal? Who cares? It's a free country. Let them do whatever they want before I answer that, let me attack the issue that I think is underlying the question. I'm not sure who asked it, but it seems to me like what's really being asked is, who am I? Am I male? Am I female? Am I something else? Because I have all these feelings that are confusing me. Furthermore, let me do this before we go any further. For many of you, What we'll talk about this morning is going to sound absurd, genuinely. And I understand that, but for others in this room, specifically those who asked the question, this will hit on real struggle, real life circumstances, and people that we love. So let's be really careful as we move forward to guard our snickers and guard our chuckles and things that we might feel like are absurd, but to people, real life people. This is not absurd at all. Now I'll say this as we launch off into the series. If the church should be anything, she should be something and a place that we can answer difficult questions. If this is not a safe place to ask hard questions, then we don't believe our own message. Furthermore, if the church should be a safe place for the gender confused and sexually broken. Because we are all broken in reality. We are all need in salvation. We are all in need of grace. And to take a particular struggle and to say that somehow that's below or above what you're struggling with and to say that if you're struggling with those things, you're not welcome here. That's wicked and evil. This is a safe place for all to come and hear the words of God and to put their trust, hopefully, in Jesus. Anytime we take our sins and make somebody else's sins above them, it's wrong. Amen, somebody? So let's chat about the issue before we tackle the question. The issue is, who am I? It's not a new issue. People have been asking this since the beginning of time. Who am I? What is my life? Am I a man? Am I a woman? What makes me a man? What makes me a woman? Does my biology Make me male? Do my behaviors make me male? Does the fact that I like guns does that make me a guy? If you really like shoes, does that make you a girl? Because I'm I'm on that team, right? I mean, love shoes. Got hundreds of pairs probably. So you might be familiar with the old Christmas carol. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I'm going to read you one line: A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots is the wish of Barney and Ben. Dolls that will talk and go for a walk is the hope of Janice and Jen. You can see this Christmas carol is stereotyping what it means to be a man or a woman. Men like boots and guns. Women like dolls. And the problem with that is I know plenty of girls that like guns, and I know plenty of boys that like to play with uh, dolls. So which is it? Is it my behavior? Is it my biology? That's why many guys will freak out if they see their son playing dress up with a girl because they believe it's behaviors that make the male or not the biology. And so there's one camp over here that says boys can only like certain things, but then there's another camp that says masculinity and femininity is based on your biology. So if you have a penis and you have testosterone flowing through your body, that makes you male. If you have a vagina and you have estrogen going through your body, that's going to make you female. If you're already uncomfortable, because I just said those two words, then just wait, okay? Because it's about to get <laughs> way worse than that. I can promise you that. Which, so which is it? Biology or is it behavior? See, these questions, although for you, might be really simple to answer, by and large in the world today, in our culture, these questions are being answered differently than they ever have before. Within the past 60 years, we've become so enlightened that the thousands of years of human history before us have become meaningless. And we're answering questions differently. Let me prove my point. Mount Holyoke College is a historic, traditional, all-women's college in the Northeast. It's part of a series of schools called the Seven Sisters. At one point, all the Ivy League schools were male, so they set up these colleges for women. Uh, due in large part because of first and second wave feminism, which had a ton of positives to it. And it created these platforms and colleges where intellectually brilliant women could go and before they had no place. And this uh, allowed them to express and learn and grow their uh, intellect. And so last year, they rolled out some new admission standards to show how progressive that they are. Uh, and so I'm just going to read for you directly from their document says, Mount Holyoke College welcomes applications for our undergraduate program from any qualified student who is female or identifies as a woman. As a pioneer in higher education, Mount Holyoke remains committed to its historic mission of providing access to excellence for academically talented women regardless of socioeconomic background. The college values each student's development, both academically and personally, and recognizes that self identity may change over time. Now, that immediately raises some questions, right? Like, how can your self identity change over time? Well, they know this is confusing, so they answer it, laid out right here in the document says the following academically qualified students can apply for admission consideration. Biologically born female identifies as a woman. Biologically born female identifies as a man. Biologically born female identifies as other slash they. Biologically born female does not identify as either man or woman. Well, that means I have no idea biologically born male identifies as a woman, biologically born male identifies as other slash they, and when other slash they identity includes woman, biologically born with both male and female anatomy identifies as a woman. So that's who can now join or attempt to join Mount Holyoke uh, College. Now at this point I immediately have a number of questions, two of them specifically. Number one, well who can't? become a student at Mount Holyoke at this point? Well, that is simple. There's only one person biologically born as male, identifies as male. It's the only person who can't now join an all woman's college. Second question, well, what happens if you change your mind? Like what happens if you join Mount Holyoke as a male, identifying as a female, but sophomore year, you like see some things and you're like, Whoa, I mean, this changes something to my, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you, like, do you have to leave the college? They answer this again, because they realize, like, can you change your mind and stay? They realize that people are going to ask her this. So in the FAQs, they answer this. If a trans woman decides during her four years as a Mount Holyoke student to change her mind and chooses a male gender identity, will she need to withdraw from the college? What about biologically female students who become to come to identify themselves as male, will they be removed? No. Once students are admitted, the college supports them regardless of their sex or gender identity, which is consistent with our current practice. Now, lest you think that this is some remote problems reserved for the liberals up in the Northeast, let me just tell you about a conversation I had with a principal who's administering a school just about an hour from here, and he's battling this idea of gender fluidity and gender identity, and can people use women's locker room and men's locker room and restrooms and all of that. Kansas has a new statute now that says, if anybody makes fun of a student for the gender or identity that they have chosen, and administrators or teachers fail to report that, this is now considered bullying. So if you grew up with Susie and all of a sudden Susie decides to become Johnny and you're like, Susie, what are you doing? Or Johnny, whoever, whatever your name, what are you doing? That's considered bullying. And administrators and teachers can now be, lose their license and be prosecuted in the judicial system for battery and assault, bullying. This is now the world that we live in. So if you're a young, adolescent boy, hormones are running wild, and you decide to yourself, one day that you want to go into the women's locker room, you just say that, well, I'm feeling like a woman today. That's called gender fluidity. That on any given day, you can just decide on a whim how you feel. So you go use the women's locker room, happen to see some things that you really enjoy. The next day, you decide to go back and use the male locker room, and you just get to tell all your buddies about the time you got to see the girls naked in the locker room gender fluidity. This is the world that we're now living in. You can wake up feeling like a cat. Decide that that's how you're going to be treated that day. Teachers, by law, have to treat you as a cat. What that means, I have no idea. Lord, help us. But Again, I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I know that this is real life, and these are real issues, and I want to show you something from Scripture that's going to help frame in where we're going. Proverbs 14:12 says, "There's a way that seems right to a man that in the end leads to death." In other words, don't trust your feelings. There's a way that's going to seem right to you. And in the end, it's going to lead to you dying. How many of you realize that's true? Yes. How many of you have made some really stupid decisions? Thought to yourself, well, that was really dumb. I was in love, right? How many of y'all have gone through down that road before? Wake up, decide, good Lord, what was I even thinking? So, let's see... What God has to say on this idea of gender identification. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and grab it. I want you to understand, this is not Landon's opinion. This is God's opinion. Okay, His is way more important than mine anyway. You want to be in the very first book of your Bible, so not far to turn. Genesis is the name of that. You want the big number one, Genesis 1, little number 26. It reads... And God said to them, males and females, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now notice, we were created in God's image as image bearers of God to have dominion over the earth. You can write it down that way. Who am I? I am an image bearer of God. I reflect God's glory as a male or a female. Only I reflect God's glory as a human being. I am an image bearer of God. Here's what that means. We are sandwiched between God and creation. We are below God, despite what your mother said. You are below God, yet you are above creation, despite what the world wants you to believe. We're sandwiched between God and above creation. You're more valuable than any animal, yet you're still below God. When you come to this realization that you are sandwiched between God, below God, above creation, it should spark in you two responses. They are humility and dignity. Humility and dignity. You can jot those down. I am humbly below God, yet I am dignified above all other creation. Humbly, we submit to our Lord and Creator as male and female. Look at one more passage. Psalm 139. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot understand it. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I hope you caught that. God's knowledge of why he made you, who he made you, is too lofty for us to even understand. But he chose the sex suitable for you. That's what the Bible just said. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. God, the personal, infinite, eternal, just, loving, and holy God, who designed the entire universe and everything in it to reflect His glory, His greatness, His beauty, His power, His wisdom, His justice, and His mercy, that God the God who has no beginning and no end, the God who depends on nothing, He said, this is who you are. And only He, as your Creator, has the authority to decide what your gender is. Thank you. Thought I was preaching up here. Even if you feel different, you should humbly respond to Him by submitting to Him. And depend on him for your joy and your identity. See, in a very real way, those who struggle with this will get to experience a little bit more of God than those who don't. Because only in him can they find their joy. You have to submit to the lordship of the creator. That's what it means to be humble. Let's also talk about dignity. Because the Bible doesn't just say you need to be humble, but it says you are dignified above all other creation. Not only do you humbly serve God, but you do so as the crown jewel of his creation. You are the highest order of any created being. You are superior to all other creation. That's what dignity means. To prove my point here, I'll just compare myself to my shelter rescue mutt dog named Gina. Nobody knows what kind of dog she is. They just know she's a dog. So let's talk here. There are some differences between Gina and I, but there's also some similarities. Gina has eyes. I have eyes. She has a nose, ears, mouth. I have all of those things. Gina likes to eat. I like to eat. Gina's peculiar about where she sleeps. I'm peculiar about where I sleep. But the differences are vast. Huge differences. For example, I have the ability and the desire to seek God and understand Him. Gina is not wrestling with such things. Gina, if she had pups, would not lie awake at night and plead with God for the souls of her children. She wouldn't long for them to know and worship the Lord. In fairness, it would be a win if she just didn't eat one of her puppies, right? Yeah, She's, they're not wrestling with the idea of saving their souls. She's not praying for anything. She's a dog. She doesn't pray. She doesn't fast. Unless I forget to feed her. That's a different story. She does not possess the moral capacity to pray and seek and know god the way that you do as an image bearer of god she's not wondering about retirement she doesn't miss her mother she's not trying to keep good friendships together some other dogs out on the farm they have to stay outside she's not thinking to herself why am i inside there outside this really isn't that fair she's not wondering what those dogs are saying behind her back she doesn't feel shame and before you send me one of those dog shaming videos on YouTube uh, where you know dogs all hunker down because you were like, did you do this? And they're like all mad and whatever. That's not shame, that's fear brought on by instinct. And the reason I know that is because if the dog does something dumb, poops on the carpet or whatever, and you throw the dog outside, the moment you let the dog back inside, are you not best friends again? Now, you might not feel that way, but the dog certainly doesn't feel any different. Three and four days later from now, the dog's not thinking, I cannot believe I did that, right? (laughs) Yet you feel shame. Three and four days later, after you do something dumb, you're like, I cannot believe I did that. Gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Your dog has never said that. They never will say that because they're a dog. My relationship with God is different than any other created being's relationship with God. Because we're different than, we're better than, and we are greater than all other non-human species. Our place in the created order as God's image bearers is different. Now, that doesn't give you the freedom to abuse God's creation but you have dignity above the created order. Just to drive this point home, when a lion attacks and kills another lion, nobody freaks out about that. There's no investigation. There's no other lions like laying around going, did you see that? I can't believe what just happened. He had it coming. He was a lion. He trespassed or whatever, right? I mean, that's what lions do roll that out in the human world, we're raising inquiries, we're having detectives come and investigate it, and all for good reason, because Genesis 9-6 would say, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So who are you? You are an image bearer of God. You rank below God, yet above God. Creation. This should spark in you humility towards God, yet dignity because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the issue undergirding the question. Who, who am I? My male? My female? Yes, because you're an image bearer of God. Now, let me try and answer the question, which was why is it a big deal? If a guy wants to be a girl, a girl wants to be a guy. Who cares? Here's why. Because tinkering with your gender is an assault on the image of God. It's idolatry, It's saying, "I know better than God." It's saying God made a mistake. It's worshiping your body and your knowledge above that of your creator and your God. It's what Satan did when he showed up the very first time in the garden. I'm going to show you this, but before I do, write it down this way. My gender is a gift from God that can't be exchanged. There's no return policy on this gift. God made you who he made you for a reason and a purpose. You're in Genesis 1. Turn a couple pages to your right to Genesis 3. I want you to see how the devil, the first thing that he attacks is identity, father of lies. His first lie was to attack who you are. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden or in the middle of of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die, but the serpent said to the women, "You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice two things here. First of all, Satan didn't attack when the earth was made, or when plants were made, or when animals were made, or when water was made, or when the sky was made, it was only when the God made the woman that the evil one showed up. Why? Because only then was the image of God complete. He didn't even show up when Adam was made. It was only when Eve was made. It takes male and female to reflect the image and mirror the image of God. That's because God has always been in an eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. So when God looks down and sees man, he realizes something is missing. He realizes he needs a helper. It's not good for a man to be alone. So he creates a woman. That's when Satan shows up. Because men and women together reflect the glory of God. Together they reflect all of his attributes, qualities, and characteristics. Not sure I fully comprehend how that works, but there's some way in which we reflect God's glory in a complementary way. Why is that? Because when the Bible talks about male and female, we're told he cre- woman was created as a help for man. It's Genesis 2.18, which means man wasn't capable of doing everything he needed to do because he needed some help. Any women out here today? You're going to say amen to that, right? Holy cow, you need to help your guy all the time, right? So when men... And women, all men and women, are created. They are created with equal dignity, equal worth, equal value, and equal competency. But at the end of the day, they were also created with different roles and different responsibilities. Just like the Trinity complements one another, so too does a man and a woman complement one another. Just like Christ submitted to the will of God, to come to the earth and die for human beings, so too are men supposed to give themselves up for their wives, and wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Even single people, these roles that we play as men and women, they're different. They're not socially constructed. They're not environmental. They are designed by God. So as where feminism would say woman should be in front of man, and chauvinism says man should be in front of woman, God says, no, I created you to be alongside one another. God took the rib out of man's side, symbolizing that we are equal in value, worth, and dignity to walk alongside one another. Different responsibilities, just like the Godhead, reflects different respons- responsibilities. Listen to what Kathy Keller wrote about this subject. She said, Although I cannot know God's reason for gender-based roles, it's not bad, injurious, unfair, or an oppressive thing. God is not capable of, quote, new and improved anything. His perfection is such that any change would be a step away from complete holiness, complete love, complete justice, and complete mercy. In other words... How you are is exactly how God intended you to be. And to change that is an all-out frontal assault on God's perfection. To be unhappy in your role as a male or a female is to spit in the face of God. Can I add that that ends bad for you? Notice what this says as well, though. That when Satan shows up, what's he say? He says, eat this fruit, you'll be like God. But they were already like God. They were made in God's image. They were like God. See, that's the lie that Satan likes to play, that you can be something you're not. It's a lie from the devil. Same lie people believing right now. You can be something you're not. It just depends on how you feel. Satan attacked our identities then. He's doing the same thing now. Nothing is new under the sun. Listen to me. Stop trying to be something you're not, gender or otherwise. Live the way God created you to live. Work hard at discovering your purpose, why he wants you a male or female, and how your roles will benefit the body of God and the world as a whole make no mistake, God's not wrong. God's never made a mistake. So don't believe the lie culture is saying that you can pick and choose your identity. Here's a true story. Two years ago, parents of children attending Janney Elementary School in Washington, D.C., received a letter from the principal. She asked all parents to explain to their children that one of the teachers, Mr. Ruder, has now become Ms. Ruder. Parents were instructed to inform their children that gender is a socially constructed reality and that the transition of Mr. Ruder to Ms. Ruder should be welcomed as an opportunity for the school and its students to show their commitment to freedom and respect. Seen the lie? Gender is socially constructed. Wrong. This is why it's such a big deal for a guy to want to become a girl or vice versa, because God designed it one way. And his expectation is that it stays that way. Anything else is to put yourself above God. Not humbly below him, but rather you know better, that he somehow made a mistake. So what do we do? As we close, what should our response be to this idea? If we know somebody or in a relationship with somebody who's struggling with this, what if you're struggling with this? First of all, we need to repent. If you're struggling with this, you need to repent. Repent literally means to change your direction. Here's how the Bible says it. First, uh, sorry, Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Whatever feels good to you, don't lean on that in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Don't believe yourself. God will sort this out for you if you'll trust in Him. And repent and ask for forgiveness and change your course that's what you need to do first of all. Now, if you know somebody who's struggling with this or have some loved ones, let me tell you what not to do. Don't freak out. You can write that down. Don't freak out. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. I've got a whole stack of evidence from secular doctors and psychiatrists in my office that I didn't have, feel like I had time to show you today, but I'll just share one quick one with you. The doctor at Johns Hopkins University, which I don't know what you know about Johns Hopkins, but they're not in the habit of hiring morons. He was just crucified for this in the media because he came out as saying most people struggling with gender identity, it's a psychological issue that be, can be treated Furthermore, in children, by about age 12, they often grow out of it. That's a secular, by no means Christian doctor saying, this isn't right. Johns Hopkins doesn't even practice this surgery and things like that anymore because the doctor who kind of pioneered this in the 70s from John Hopkins went back and researched all the people he did this for, and they were suffering massive mental disorders, including depression. Don't freak out. Pray for people. Find help for them. If you need some resources for that, I'd be happy to give them to you. But again, in your overzealousness as a parent or as a friend, don't freak out. Point them to Jesus. Listen to me. I say this a lot. There's a huge difference between acceptance and approval. You need to show them that you can accept them because Jesus accepts them. And the decisions that they've made. But you don't approve of their behavior. And it's a huge lie to say that the two things are in war with one another. They're not. You can love somebody and disagree with somebody. Point them back to Scripture. Point them back to Jesus. Show them the difference He's made in your life as a sinner in need of a Savior because all of us are in that same spot. Humbly, we go to the cross and submit to God because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the time here today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have just to come and gather. Thank you for creating this institution as a church where we can answer difficult questions. Be free to explore what you have to say. God, I thank you so much for the gift of your holy word in the Bible, that we can go to it as the source of all truth. And find answers to every question that culture is dealing with. God, you've given us everything we need in the words of Jesus and your prophets and your men who have written the Bible. We thank you. We praise you for that. We humbly submit to it today and every day. God, if there's anybody here this morning who's struggling with this issue of gender identity and who am I, and my feelings are leading me one way, but I'm struggling with this. God, I just ask that you speak to them, encourage them right now. That all of us struggle with something. Their struggle is no different than our struggle, but you have a better way for them. And you've called them to live a life as the male or female that they were created and not anything else. Bring people alongside them who can encourage them, show them your love. God, if there's anybody here this morning who wants to submit humbly to you, as we continue to pray, if that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you want to start serving God for the very first time, I would just ask you to in your heart, repay, repent. The Bible says, repent and believe, you'll be saved. So just pray with me, say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've not kept your rules lived the life that you wanted me to live but I believe in Jesus that he came to this earth to die for me so I wouldn't have to be perfect he was perfect he rose from the dead and I believe that help me start living for you